Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything. My name is Ono Sullivan and today's guest on the show is Limerick singer-songwriter Emma Langford. She released her debut album Quiet Giant last October. She toured Germany with the Irish Folk Festival. She told me she has plans to go to America and to the UK and back to Germany all in 2018. So I thought beforehand talking to her like oh, she's had a pretty good six months. Just earlier in the week when I talked to her, uh, she had been named Limerick Person of the Month for January. I thought, wow, that's pretty good, like fair play to her. And then getting off the phone with her, I'm like, where did she find the time? Where did she find the time to do a master's and to record her album uh, in such a quick uh, time frame? She gets into all that. She explains how good she is at juggling her time and all of the other events that she's involved in as well. Um, She is playing uh, a few tour dates around the place. If you're uh, looking to listen to Emma Langford live, see her live. Uh, depending on when you're listening to it, she is playing, well, she was in the Roisin Dove on Friday the 16th of February, uh, so you can kick yourself about missing that. She's playing the Purple Sessions in Boils of Slain in Meath on Thursday the 22nd of February. She's in Collins in Cork with Sarah Ryan on Friday the 23rd of February, and then the 3rd of March, she's playing Nellie Freds in Dingle with Sarah Ryan. So a couple tour dates left to go on her spring tour, but it sounds like she'll be back around sooner rather than later. But uh, don't don't hang around on Emma Langford. Her debut album is great, and it sounds like it's just doing wonders for her. I know the guy who uh, did the cover for it. Uh, Jacob Stack is his name. He's from Donegal, and the cover is just a thing of beauty. It's... Uh, it's just he's got such a distinctive style and I think that it's it's just there in the album cover. It's available on Emma Langford She's also planning a twelve inch vinyl release of the album too. You can um pre order that there as well. But yeah, we talk uh we talk about all that Emma is involved in, in Limerick. It's quite a lot. And lots of other things, the recording of the music, her doing her masters and her plans for the year. So I talked to her the day before she actually got the award for Limerick Person of the Year. So just so you have a grounding on the time for that. But uh, yeah, thanks a lot to uh, Steve for doing the sound and producing it and making the podcast sound good. Thanks to anybody who listens. You can get it on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, etc., etc. I'm actually so bad at that. I really need to get better at like pushing the podcast. You can listen to it here. You should listen to it here. Uh, and yeah, if you have any thoughts on the podcast, give me an email on thepointofeverything at gmail.com or tweet me at TPOE blog on Twitter. So this is Emma Langford chatting about everything and anything inside in a cafe in Limerick. Uh, so so where, where are you at the moment? I am in a cafe called the Old Fire Station in Limerick. In Limerick. What, what's that like? It's class. It's really good. Um, I'm actually going to take my earphones out so I have a better idea of how this is. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, it's lovely. It's a really cool new, newish kind of uh, vegetarian vegan cafe in Limerick. Um, one of very few around these parts. Uh, so it's lovely. Ah, cool. It seems like Limerick is doing like really well for itself lately. 
Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's, it's on the up. Um, I actually just had a friend visiting there, a childhood friend visiting, uh, who came into the train station and she was just blown away because the place is totally transformed. It's gotten a bit of a bit of a glow up, so it's uh, it's looking great. What? Why do you think that is? Is there like a certain reason, or is it just like new people trying new ideas? Um, it's a combination of things, I'd say. Like the you know the arts community has always been really strong and really vibrant in Limerick. Um, so I think there's always been a real drive. From, from that perspective of people trying to make things happen and make the place look nice and kind of pull together and create a community. But uh, I think it's uh, it's getting a bit trendier now. Limerick is <laughs> it's kind of the bohemian uh, underdog of the base of Ireland. So um, I think there's more, more of a drive to improve the place and get stuff happening here for whatever reason. It's a great spot and people are nice. So <laughs> maybe, maybe they've just spotted how sound we are. Do you think there'll be a rebellion against that trendiness? Do you think people will be like, oh, it wasn't like this in my day? Uh, yeah, probably. There's always people who get annoyed about gentrification and stuff. Um, but at the end of the day, if, if it's to the benefit of everyone, uh, you kind of have to just fuck it up and <laughs> appreciate what's going on. Uh, you're 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 almost like a spokesperson for Limerick at the moment, are you? I mean, you were li- named Limerick Person of the Month for January this week. Yeah, that was really cool. That was really unexpected. Um, I don't know if I'd comment as a spokesperson for Limerick. You know, there's tons of tons of brilliant people out there working as ambassadors for Limerick, like Lion Boy and uh, um, what's her name? Like Thomas Barr is kind of almost. I know he's not from Limerick originally, but he'd be a spokesperson for as well. And uh, uh, oh gosh, what's her name? The girl that's like uh, she just got referee for for the rugby. Um, Join now. So I never, yeah, she's. Oh, is she from Limerick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I don't. I I like I like representing Limerick, but I don't assume to represent, you know, everyone, (laughs) everyone's thoughts and feelings on things. Was there like a ceremony for for you to get the award? Uh, There will be tomorrow. Yeah. Um. So we're talking today, which is Wednesday. Yes, it is Wednesday. Um. And tomorrow, tomorrow Thursday, there'll be a ceremony in town. Um, where they'll kind of recognise all of the people of the month uh, for the past year and they will actually award the person of the year for 2017 to someone of that. Um, so that should be nice. And they've let me bring my mummy along to that. So really lovely. It must be like it must be really weird to get an award like that, I think, is it? It really is. It's really bizarre. Um, I didn't expect it. Like I got a phone call one morning. Uh, from one of the fellows on the committee first to let me know the good news that I had been nominated first. And I was like, all right, I'm just nominated so I didn't actually get it. That's grand. <laughs> and then he was like, no, that means, that means you are the person of the month. I was like, oh, what? Get out of town. Uh, I don't feel like, I I don't know, I kind of, I watch, because I'm quite, I'm quite involved in social media and stuff. I'm always watching what people are doing in the community and kind of observing people that are going out there into the world and doing brilliant things. And we've got so many incredible volunteer groups people looking after people like, out of the goodness of their own heart and I just kind of felt like I don't really deserve this like there's tons I'd, I'd kind of like to give this to someone else who's doing such selfless work I just feel like I'm doing my job you know <laughs> yeah I, I think nice I think that it oh sorry um I I think that it is good that like it is like the Limerick Person of the Month award is like willing to honor someone who's so uh like involved in arts I think that sometimes arts does loot out lose out to kind of you know sports people or something like that so I think it's great yeah that for sure I think you're right there yeah um, and that's what my mum is saying as well you know uh, she sees sports people getting it all the time 
and uh, she she agrees. It's nice to see someone in the arts who's kind of coming out there representing Limerick in that front, uh, getting it. But I don't know. I think growing up in Ireland as an artist, you kind of learn to be quite self-deprecating, yeah. <laughs> and you kind of grow up with a bit of a chip in your shoulder. But uh, you know, it's lovely. It's really nice. Is it kind of like uh like it's not just for stuff that you did in January? It's kind of like almost a culmination of stuff that you did over the course of the last year. Is it? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I suppose between I kind of run uh, events that promote women in the arts and in business and in industry uh, here in Limerick. Well. And I do quite a bit of volunteer work um, as much as I can. I try and give back to the community. Like I think art, art, and being an artist is inherently a selfish career because it's all about you expressing yourself and reflecting how you see the world and trying to get people to love you <laughs> at the time. Um, so I think if you, if you have a talent that can kind of you can find a way of giving back, then you should. So I guess I guess they're maybe recognizing that as well. I haven't been told yet. <laughs> I haven't been told why I got it. Uh, tell me more about that. Um, the organizing event, organizing the um, events. Yeah. So back in 2016, I suppose it kind of came to everyone's attention that there was a real deficit of women on uh, kind of the bill for festivals and gigs and stuff. Um, and there's always an issue of a lack of visibility in women in STEM careers as well. And, uh, you know, we have designated women in business networks around the country to kind of encourage women to go into entrepreneurial endeavors as well. So basically in 2016, I decided to start running a series of events that would highlight women in music because that's my area. Um, and that kind of evolved to involve women working in theater, women working in science, women working in business, women in, you know, cooking, everything. Um, and uh, I've just kind of been growing it since then, basically, uh, involving women of all walks of life. And is it just your baby sort of thing or is are there other yeah, people involved? Wow. There's other people involved in kind of different ways, but I'm, it kind of it came from me, I suppose. Um, I did a bit of field research, a bit of gazing of interest, contacted any women I knew that were working in different areas of business around the, around the city and asked if they thought it was a good idea because, you know, you can have this, you can take kind of a, a moral, <laughs> self-righteous stance on something and be like, yes, this is something that everyone agrees with. But, you know, you have to have conversations with people and see what the actual public feeling around it is. But every single person I said it to was like, yes, please, this needs to happen, especially in numerous where you see loads of endeavors like this happening in Dublin um, and, every, and every other kind of major city around the world. Um, but for some reason, it never kind of evolved in Limerick. So when they heard that it was going to happen in the west of the country and, you know, would involve people from Limerick and beyond, uh, I think everyone was really excited about it. So I've got, I've got a really good team of people who are enthusiastic and want to be involved. But uh, I suppose I'm the one woman committee on it at the moment. <laughs> Dare I ask if you've had like a load of men say like, "Oh, what are you doing? We don't need that around here. It's grand." Oh the way yeah, things are. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, not even just men. You know, you've got men and women kind of both going, uh, not seeing the value. I can understand the argument to a degree. Um, not seeing the value of running an event that is gearing towards equality, that is purely for women, um, because surely that's kind of self-contradictory. Um, and you know you have to kind of explain yourself and explain yourself and explain yourself and say you know we're not we're not discriminatory. We don't want no men to be involved. But the issue we're dealing with is the lack of balance. So the more women we can 
so visibly being involved in music, the more younger women and women of all ages, actually, and women of all abilities and genders and ethnicities uh, and sexualities would be, will see those people out there as role models and will be interested in being involved in those careers. So, um, yeah, you get, I guess so many, so many people kind of seeing the, seeing the headline, let's say, of an article about what the initiative is about and instantly knee-jerk reactions going, that's not an issue, it's not a real issue, the arts are fine, I've worked with loads of women, there's no gender disparity, um, and it's like, you have to look at the actual statistics here, and you also need to be a woman working in the arts to understand what's going on. Um, but, sure look, you have that in every walk of life. Yeah, like, I mean, I suppose it's good to uh, bring um, attention to it, just because, like, every year you see at least a few like festival lineups and you're like, you know, they, they do that thing. They Photoshop out the male yeah. names and just leave the women's names or the people mm. or the bands who have women in them. And it's like five out of like 60 acts or something. So it seems yeah, like, it's crazy. yeah, I don't know. It's like, you don't, you don't want this type of thing to have to be a thing, but like mm. uh, wh- while there's always that disparity, there's going to, you're going to have to kind of go the other way with it, aren't you? Yeah, kind of. Um, just just for the, from the point of view of trying to strike a balance and I suppose make a point a little bit as well. Uh, sometimes, you know, you don't want to be childish or petulant about it, but sometimes it does take organising. The fact that, you know, there's so many events that are inadvertently male-dominated or all men involved um, and no one, you know, raises an eyebrow. But when you actively say an event with all women, people are like, oh my God, that's going to be rubbish. What the hell? Why did you do that? And it's like, do you realize how many events being run at the moment are all men? Like, there's not a single woman on the stage for the entire night. And, you know, uh, I've had a few kind of rows recently on Twitter where uh, people have kind of gotten up in arms about me pointing it out to them. You know, just you know, just want to say, I'm not attacking you. I'm just letting you know, for me, it's disappointing to see no women on this bill for this gig. I appreciate you as an event booker and I appreciate the hard work that goes into it. But from my own perspective and with my own agenda in mind, I find it disappointing. Um, and they instantly go on the defense as if I'm attacking them, calling them sexist, calling them misogynistic, saying it was a conscious decision. And it's like, no, I, I appreciate the, the difficulty of this. But if no one points it out to you, you won't know for next time. Uh, so I think I think we you know I mean I'm, I definitely I you know I book gigs and I run gigs and I definitely am not as uh, as diverse and as inclusive as I could be because I don't have anyone coming to me and saying actually you need to have you know a bit more of a, of a range of people on this stage and um, so I think we could all do it sitting down and having a chat about it a lot of the time. Yeah, uh, hopefully it's something that like becomes less of an issue as even 2018 rolls on. I think that it's good to kind of call people out on it and like Definitely. try just just so that you're kind of aware of your biases. You know, it's kind mm. of hard. It's like hard to see the wood from the trees sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's, it's impossible a lot of the time. Uh, we all kind of live with our own different levels of privilege. And uh, once you're aware of it, you know, you can do something about it. But if you're kind of blind to it and so so sure of yourself that you you know you know you've never made a mistake in your life, then um, you're making life awkward and difficult for everyone around you. Okay, so let let's get kind of back to Emma Langford, the artist. Uh, when okay, when did okay. you when did you start uh, playing music? Um, I well, you know I don't know. It's kind of a tricky question. Um, I've always I've always been singing. 
uh, and performing. Um, but playing music of my own and my own music is actually kind of recent to me. Um, I, w- I grew up thinking I was going to be an illustrator. My dad and my mom are both brilliant visual artists. Um, and so I grew up convinced that I was going to illustrate children's books um, or be a cartoonist or a portrait artist or something. And, uh, and then I suppose when I left school, I was brutally rejected from my art college um, and kind of realized that maybe it wasn't for me, you know. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm quite a good artist, but I'm not an art college artist. But that moment was me kind of going, do I really want this enough to do it myself? Whereas music has always been there, it's always been part of my life, and songwriting and poetry and stuff had always kind of filtered their way through. So I suppose in the past four years, five years, I've really uh, kind of gone for it in a real way. Uh, kind of writing my own songs, arranging songs, bringing bands together, producing my music, um, and now it seems to be seems to be my path. So <laughs> here we are. Can you remember like when your first gig was? My first gig um, was probably, I was, I, so I played guitar, I used to carry my guitar around with me because I was one of those kind of annoying people that just wanted everyone to know that I played guitar. Um, and I was, I went into a cafe. I had this idealized idea of what it would be like to work in a cafe as a waitress, you know, or like what you see in movies. So I went into this cafe asking if I could work there. And uh, he was a total chance in the owner of the cafe. And he said, you know, we don't have any waitressing work right now, but if you want to, I see you've got a guitar on your back, so if you want to um, play a few tunes in here on a Sunday afternoon, and uh, if that kind of rallies a bit more custom, then obviously we have a job for you. So I said, okay, that's, that's then not dodgy at all. I'll definitely do that. <laughs> so I, uh, I used to sit in the smoking area of the cafe <laughs> and play guitar in the corner, like on a Sunday afternoon. And like not get paid, um, but as it happened, I wasn't bad. Uh, I had some basic ability to do what I was doing, and people, <laughs> a few, few kind of nice people walked past. And one guy uh, sat down one day and he said, "You know, you're not, you're not awful. Uh, there's an open mic on down the road that you should go down and check it out. You've got a chance to work with some other musicians, need a bit more of the kind of the scene around here." And uh, you never know what kind of gig will come out of it. So I followed the lead, went into this open mic at a place called The Wicked Chicken, which is closed now, sadly. Oh, yeah. And uh, some people there heard me playing, and I kind of started building a bit more confidence and trying out a few more things. And they're like, well, you're quite good. So, you know, then the guy that ran the open mic said, do you want to do a feature slot at the open mic sometime? So I did that, and then someone saw me doing that, and they're like, do you want to come play a gig here? So I went down and played a gig in Cobblestone and Joe's in Limerick. And uh, it all just kind of snowballed from there, and... I just kind of started playing my own music, bringing a band together, all that kind of stuff. And just, yeah, just kind of just taking chances and saying yes to stuff is kind of how it happens. Um, do you think confidence is like a big thing for a singer-songwriter, particularly like someone just starting out to actually uh, get? Like when they're going up on stage solo, like is does confidence like really help with the experience? Uh, yeah. Massively. Um, I think everyone starts out being a little bit kind of shy and unassuming and uh, just feeling like the audience don't want to hear what you have to say and muttering into the microphone kind of half-heartedly explaining what your song is about or whatever and everyone's kind of like, Ooh, what did they say? Did they say words? Um, but a combination of confidence and brazenness, just <laughs> total bare-faced cheeks and uh, faking it till you make it. 
you know, I mean, you might go up there and be terrified, but you just pretend like you've done this a hundred million times, and usually that's what everyone is doing anyway. Um, and just hoping for the best, really. The confidence is huge, yeah. Uh, and so you released your uh, debut album in October. Did it feel like it was a long time coming? That was a really sudden, random development. <laughs> um, I released an EP in 2016 uh, because I just wanted to kind of crystallize a few of my songs and kind of get them out there and get arrangements out there and try and see what it's like to get radio play and book festivals and stuff. I knew that having a CD would help. Um, and then... I got performed for this festival in Germany last year, um, the Irish Folk Festival, and the booker for that festival said, your sound is great, uh, you're kind of, you're exactly what we're looking for, but you need to produce an album to be able to do this tour. So that was in, I think it was March last year that I was doing that, and I needed to have the album and a new music video ready for September. Um, and I had, I've been planning on releasing an album, but it certainly wasn't going to be within six months. Uh, and then suddenly I needed find producers, artwork, a band, everything, and get it all done in six months. And I did, because I tend to, when I say yes to things, I tend to just, you know, put the shoulders in the wheel and do them. Um, but uh, I was in the middle of doing my masters at the same time, and planning my own kind of little solo tour. So, uh, yeah, it felt like a very long time at the time, but realistically, six months to get an album and a music video done was very quick, condensed rapid kind of a thing there's a lot to uh unpack there for, um first of all what what was your master's in i did a master's in community music so um okay. i had i had this uh you know I, I had this burning ambition still have to give back to the community i wasn't sure what way i wanted to do that but i knew i wanted to kind of combine community outreach with music in some way so i did a, an ma in community music in ul uh which kind of taught me to lead workshops and teach songwriting and work with people of all abilities, um, musical or otherwise. Um, so it was a great master's to have. And I don't know if community music is still the route I want to go down, but it's really nice to have some bit of a skill set if, if I'm asked to go into a group of people who've never played music before, that I just have kind of a little bit of a toolbox, a mental toolbox that I can kind of draw from there. Um, uh, so, yeah. And, d- and did you have to do a thesis for it? I did, yeah. Yeah, I did a thesis on uh, the actual, the role of community music in improving gender equality. <laughs> <laughs> and all, all positive answers, I presume? Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> basically, I was looking at how, you know, on a, on a ground level, you can bring more women into the community that are working at a professional level in music to teach people uh, from a young age about music. And it's, you know, positive role models and all that for young, for young people. Uh, to see more diversity and inclusivity at a professional level um, encourages them then in turn to kind of go forward in a professional, on a professional scale um, and pursue careers in music and performance. Because um, I, I, I didn't have a whole lot of uh, female... I didn't have a whole lot of music tuition anyway growing up, but um, I, didn't, I never saw a lot of women on stages when I was growing up, and I would have loved to have seen more women than about their performance. Um, and any of the ones, any of the women that I did encounter as a child, I remember vividly because there were so few of them. So uh, I think it's great for, for kids to be able to see a diversity of nationalities, genders, sexualities, everything um, as they're growing up as well. So yeah, I basically the thesis just kind of looked at, at how 
community music can contribute to that. And like, how did you how did you fit in writing and recording this album? Like doing a thesis? Uh, <laughs> that's a really good question. <laughs> uh, I'm a time traveler. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I really don't. Um, it was. It was yeah, just some kind of desire, time management ability that I somehow developed over the course of those six months that I've never in my life had before. <laughs> um, and like, did you have the songs recorded? It's a ten-track album, quite giant. Yes. I mean, wh- mm-hmm. how old are the oldest songs on there, and how many were written like in that very tight time scale that you gave yourself? Uh, all of the songs were written ahead of going into the album, so that took a bit of a strain out. Uh, the album Fighting Quiet Giant is the first song on the album of Quiet Giant and that is one of my oldest songs that's the song I wrote back when I was in school I would say um, and uh, I really wanted to produce an album that showed where I came from where I am now so Tug uh, of War or um, Six Foot Four would be one of my most recent songs uh, in terms of the album and uh, yeah so the, the album kind of shows an arc from when I first started writing songs, kind of where I was at the time of producing the album. And now now I'm writing songs that have gone kind of a different direction. Um, and they have a more kind of a, a uniform sort of a thing. I feel like Quiet Giants is almost a kind of a concept album in a way, um, whereas the next album will be a bit more of a, a musician's album. Okay. Um, and are you able to look back at a kind of... Um Sub, not subjectively, but uh, like critically, like do you see the limitations of it? Like, do you still think it's a really, really good album that stands up, or are you like kind of cringing at some of it? Um, I think, I think it was the best possible thing I could have produced in that time, and I think if I had given it any more time and laboured over it for months and months and months, it would have end up, it just could have end up taking forever and never getting out there, you know. So it was great to have that really. I, I work really well to a time time constraint. I love working under pressure because I know that I will get the job done and I'll, I will do a good job. I always do. But um, no, I don't think there's anything I've done differently, really. Uh, you know, the next album is I'm taking a different approach on it because I'm not doing it for the same reasons as the last one. And oh, yeah. um, obviously, I've evolved as a songwriter since producing that album. I'm not going to be now dredging up songs that I wrote when I was 16. There's a couple of, possibly a couple of old ones that um, I will put on the coming album as well but this, this next one I'll be taking a different approach I'll be working with the same producers more than likely um, and the same band possibly introducing some additional instruments but uh, no there's, there's nothing I've done differently I think the Quiet Giant is, is a really strong album for what it is um, and I'm really proud of it well, what kind of approach do you take to the songwriting? The the songwriting. Do you kind of like put on your storyteller hat for it or are they very personal <laughs> tracks? Um, everyone is different uh, so I suppose I like to kind of I try and not make it too 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 personal in terms of I'd like for everyone to be able to project themselves an image of themselves onto every song um, I think putting in personal details and things that you are very specific to is nice um, but uh, I don't know every every song is kind of different um, some of them are storytelling, you know, Bell in the Ruin on Quiet Giant is very much a story which is almost fairy tale mythology. Um, and other ones detail my personal struggles with anxiety in a way that other people can relate to. So every time I kind of just, I don't try and, 
I haven't. I don't think I've tried, tried to create a persona or anything recently, or sort of identify myself as a specific kind of musician. I've just written songs. Um, it's the difference between being a pop artist or being a rock star or being a front woman for a band. I think when you're a singer-songwriter, it's a very hard to pigeonhole kind of part of music to be in, and people don't ever know what to expect from you. And I think that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, they're they're uh, you're ready to be surprised or impressed or disinterested or whatever because you don't know what to expect of the thing about it. And, and like the album was a success uh, and it did get you over to Germany with the Irish Folk Festival. You were over there for like a month in November, was it? I was, yeah. I travelled um, from Switzerland up to Germany for a month and uh, it was one of the best experiences of my life. Um, I keep explaining to people like everything tastes like sand since I came home. You know, nothing ever <laughs> be uh, as like the kind of crap that was had because it was a group of sixteen of us traveling around Germany, being looked after like travel accommodation and food wise. So we didn't really have to stress about anything much for that month. This was a lovely, novel experience, and we all got on really well. It was just a really gorgeous group of people. And like, do, would you see Germany now as kind of like the start of a fan base? Like, when if you release, when you release your second album, would you be like, oh, I need to get back over to Germany? Definitely, yeah, yeah. The German crowds are lovely. The people over there are so friendly. Um, they pay, they you know, they pay money to come to the gate. They sit and they listen. They respond appropriately. They do what they're told. <laughs> uh, they buy CDs afterwards. You know, if you tell them to sing along, they don't, they don't hesitate. They're like, right, okay, yes, we'll, we'll learn these words and we'll sing them with you. No problem. Uh, whereas Irish people can be a bit cheapish. Um, it's in our it's in our blood. But uh, yeah, I find the German crowd really nice and really attentive. And they've all kind of followed me since. They've followed me on social media. Um, they're asking when I'm coming back. Um, which is a, it's a lovely experience to have a fan base in another country that are eager for you to come back again. Yeah. Well, like it, it sounds like it's almost humbling as well. Like people in another country listening to like this it's a self-released album isn't it yeah yeah like that's it's mad that like people would love it so much yeah it is it's really cool um the yeah. album actually it was it helps that i speak a bit of german so oh really I, yeah so when i was you know doing the gigs and stuff i was able to explain in pidgin german kind of a little bit of what the song is about or the gist of it you know so i i imagine an awful lot of Germans speak exceptionally good English, probably better English than a lot of English speakers speak. And uh, but even still, the nuances and idioms that go into songwriting would get a bit lost on you if you're not a fluent native speaker. So sitting there listening to someone singing their songs is nice, but if you've no idea what they're talking about, you kind of disengage. I would say. So I was able to give them a bit of an uh, a bit of a Oh, what's the word? I think something fancy. Uh, <laughs> sometimes a bit of help, a bit of help, just to understand what songs right. And from there, then they engaged with the songs. They bought the CDs, um, and the album I learned actually broke CD sale records for a newcomer to the tour in I think a decade. So, um, so that was really really cool. Wow. Know that, you know, there's like in in the course of a, a month, I sold four hundred odd CDs, which is <laughs> yeah that's uh that's mad and people will in ireland will get to see you uh in action over the next couple of weeks you're playing uh 
a series of gigs, including uh, Collins and Cork on Friday the 23rd of February. Have you played there before? I have. I supported Eddie Reader there. Okay. Um, yeah, last year. Um, so I love that thing. It's so cool. Um, it's just the kind of a capacity there is so intimate. So you kind of you can see the white star eyes when you're playing your song. It's kind of hard playing when you're a singer songwriter. You're playing your song through a massive, massive room. It can be kind of hard because you know a lot of what you're talking about is quite intimate. Um, but Collins is a gorgeous room, and the the managers there really look after the artists as well. So uh look forward to that one. Um and like is that kind of the the end of the album cycle for you then? Or are you are you gonna go back into the recording studio or what's the plan for, for the rest of the year? Um so I'm planning to tour I'm gonna be touring in Germany and the UK uh in April and May. So April will be Germany and May is the UK. I'm still lining up the tour dates and I've yet to announce any of them. But um got a couple of dates there and then I'm hoping fingers crossed to get to the US in August um, so I'm I just I'm very conscious of the fact that while I have a nice following and I've got you know lots and lots of people who know my music um, I recently learned that my radio impressions were something like 2.01 million uh, in the course of the album release and EP release which considering I only have what like 12 songs that's pretty good um, so uh, this obviously there's a nice volume of people who know my music but I I haven't reached a vast amount of the population um, and a huge amount of people outside of Ireland so I'd like to tour the album as much as I can get it out as much as I can give it its best possible shot and then once I've built up a decent following with this album you know I feel like I've, I've set the groundwork a bit better for the next album's success um, there's, there's no point releasing a second album without giving the first one its best possible chance so yeah, just getting out there, collaborating, meeting people, working a bit more. Wow, it sounds like you've got your, your year planned ahead. Um, I guess it all starts out with getting your award for Person of the Month for January uh, tomorrow. Yeah. And then, yeah. I don't know, in one year's time, like, I don't know, maybe Person of the Year, 2018? <laughs> yeah. Maybe, we'll see how we go. Yeah, one, one step Probably at a time. I'll have to rescue a cat from a tree or something, you know. <laughs> well, I wouldn't put it past you the way you're going. <laughs> cool um, I guess we'll leave it there then uh, best of luck with everything Emma it certainly sounds like you've got a, a full diary anyway yeah keep them busy keep them busy uh, and have fun on the Irish tour and for the rest of the year and everything else that's really much true.